Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech Talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, all you fellow techno harvesters. Welcome into our digital orchard with a ripe fruit virtually dripping from the trees here at Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. We've got a deconstructed fruit salad of techno tidbits in store for you today. And here, clad in his plaid shirt and denim overall, it's just just off the tractor. It's our future farmer himself. It's Matthew Dickerson. How are you, Matt? Plaid or played? I'm never quite sure. I always thought it was plaid, but it's spelt played. Mm, it is mm. spelt played, isn't mm. it? So anyway, we... I'm going with plaid. It's probably the American version. Well, I was going to uh, say, which will disappoint me enormously when I find out. <laughs> I wonder if we just have stolen the American version. But look, I've had a frustrating week this week. We hear sometimes about the unsubscription problem. Oh. You, you yeah. temporarily subscribe. It's so easy to, to sign up, isn't it? It is so easy to sign up. And then to find the unsubscribe, yep. or they'll have the issue where you've got a phone to unsubscribe and that's an international number mm. or they're not open during the hours that you mm. want them to be open. So it seems like a tactic, James. I'm being cynical here. It yeah. seems like a tactic to make yeah. it hard to unsubscribe. But I had an absolute doozy during the week. I use a company called Hightail for my large files. And I've used them over a decade. I've been using them. Very handy. You want to send large files off. Typically, they might be video or large audio files. Mm. Send them off. People can send them to you. All sorts of wonderful things. Fantastic. Files are getting larger and larger now. So I mm. was on one plan. I've been on one plan for a long time. And I wanted to use a larger plan because I had some files that were over 100 gigs in size and I needed to send. So fine. I went through. Oh, I can add to that plan, go up to that plan. I thought, well, that's fine. I don't send files bigger than 100 gigs that often. I'm happy with the normal limit under 100 gigs. Oh, well, I'll just I'll go to that plan for a month, use that for the couple of files you send, and I'll drop it back down. Went up to the plan, used it. Didn't actually work in the way I needed it to work for uh, a whole range of other reasons. Not not high tiles fault, but that's fine. I'll just go back down. Could I find no a way shan't. to go back down? No, no you can't. <laughs> so I connected to their online help service. Hi, there's a Monty Python skit in here somewhere too. Oh, there has to be because. Yeah, yeah. It was a very frustrating conversation that I had with their help. I'm assuming it was a person. It might have been a chatbot, but I assume it was a person. I said, I just want to go back down. I said, you can't go back down. I said, you're telling me that you can only ever go up plans. That's correct. So what do I do? Well, cancel the service and then resubscribe at the level that you want. So what about the files that I've got sitting on there at the moment? Oh, yes, they'll all be lost when you unsubscribe because <laughs> you no longer exist. But then when you resubscribe, you can get them again. Well, how do I get them again? Well, if you download all those files to your computer and then when you do it, upload all those files back to Hightail, then everything will be okay. I said, do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand how ridiculous uh, that is? I really don't have the time to do all that. And I haven't got a solution yet. All I want to do is just drop back a plan. I just want to drop back to the plan I've been on for the last decade. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. It didn't work for me, the other no. plan. It didn't help me. No. It didn't actually do what I want to do. Even if it did do what I want to do, I did it for a month, and so surely I can go back. So I haven't got a solution yet. I don't know what the solution is. I've tried a couple of times with some different help people, but again, they all say the same thing. So surely, yeah. surely you could change plans Did you get put on hold down. for a bit? Your call is important to us. <laughs> well, I didn't actually make a phone call. It was just an yeah, online chat. Online chat, so, right, okay. But it was often, I'll go and check with my subject matter expert and yeah. come back again. But the unsubscription problem is real. And yeah. all it does from my perspective is, it just makes you say, well, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to resubscribe to them. I'll go and use Dropbox or someone else in yeah. the future because the experience has been so frustrating. So they've lost a loyal customer for 10 years. 
because they don't have an ability to drop down a level. Yeah. It just seems crazy, doesn't yeah, it? It is yeah. crazy. So their tactic, crazy. I'm sure, is that they want to keep people on those high plans, but all it does is create negativity, and I'm sure they lose customers. Well, now anyone, anytime someone says, oh, look, hey, just sign up for this, um, and it's easy enough to, to get out of it if you need to. There's, there's no cost at all. I always, uh, <laughs> a little part of me just... <laughs> Just fires up and goes, oh, no, I know exactly what I'm getting into. Yeah. And I'm just preparing to pay for this for the rest of my life. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Actually, it's good when you change credit cards. Often that's when those triggers happen and, oh, no, you can't keep subscribing this. Service. Thank goodness I'm finally yeah, out of that one. Yeah. All right. We better get started then with our um, our stories. Congratulations, folks. Your patience has paid off. Good things come to those who wait. It's been a year since we last broke news of the new release of the emojis. So strap yourself in. Matt has all the latest emoji news for you. I do like to put a lime in my sparkling water sometimes. Lemon's okay, but just every now and again, I like to put a lime in my sparkling water. Yeah, mixing it up. Mixing it up. It's a spice of life. And finally, finally, I can now send an emoji to someone I don't know, at the bar maybe, to one of my kids, <laughs> to say, put a lime in my sparkling water via an emoji because, hello, <laughs> we've got a lime emoji. Hang on, as opposed to a lemon emoji. Well, we've always had well, we've had the lemon emoji for yeah, a long I'm sorry, time. Yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we apologies. haven't had a lime okay. emoji. I can't yeah. believe yeah, yeah. before this latest group has been approved, we had in He's almost criminal. We had 3,664 emojis. Out of those 3,664, there was not a lime emoji. What were they thinking, James? Mm, yeah. Surely that would have been Goodness higher priority. Man. But in the new list, including lime, we've now got 3,782. But thankfully, someone has seen the issue that I've had. <laughs> And the lime emoji has been added. So we've got that now. We've got a few other ones added. A brown mushroom. So white mushroom, yeah. fine, that's been there. But the brown mushroom hasn't been hasn't there. Been. Now, that could be important <laughs> for some expert cooks out there maybe that you need to make sure it's the brown yeah. versus the white. But the other one that I do like, or the other group, is a group of direction-specific people emojis. So not just person walking. Ah. Oh person walking to the left right. or person walking to the right, yeah, okay. person running to the left or person running to the right. In the past, there was the flexibility for the people who created the emojis. When it had person walking, they could go, hmm, do I want them to walk left or right? <laughs> now, you've got specific directions where it will be a person walking left. Can, can they, is there, there's not one to walking towards, is there, or walking away from? I don't remember seeing those ones. That uh, might be in the next well, one. You can suggest that. Wait those. up, folks. <laughs> Stay tuned um, for this time next year. So the, the issue is, even though we're breaking the news now, the emoji list has been approved. So this is the 15.1 version of the emojis. goes alongside the Unicode standard version 15.1. Uh-huh. This is done, and I know you love this part in I particular, do. the Unicode Consortium. The fact that there is a group there out there <laughs> that consists of representatives from a whole range of different organisations that says yes to that group of emojis. Yeah, you need someone there who's discerning. And maybe more than just one person, you need a number of I know, there's a group. You couldn't possibly have it done by one person. That's what a consortium is, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) That's right. And the consortium includes some big tech companies like Apple and Google and Microsoft. Many people, until they listen to Tech Talk, thought that it was just up to the vendor. So Mm. 
oh, Apple decides they want a person walking left, they just create an emoji. No, no, no. You've got to have it approved by the Unicode Consortium. And then once it's approved, the different companies that create the actual images that you'll see, for example, Apple or Google, they will actually create an emoji based on their interpretation of that. So the emoji on an iPhone might be different to the emoji on an Android phone, Uh but it will have to be representing the same thing. So the person walking left has to be obvious as the person walking left, uh, yeah, okay. but it could be your own individual company's interpretation. But yeah, they still all agreed on the lime. They still all agreed on the lime, but maybe... Lime. What form it comes in that's will right. be up to Apple or whoever else. Yes, exactly right. So we've got new emojis, very exciting. Typically it takes several months, maybe even six months before you'll see those on your devices. Some companies, maybe by the end of the year you'll see some, but probably more February, March next year before you'll see them in common. So I know people want to rush out right now, add that LOM emoji to their order for sparkling water. Uh-huh. You can't probably do it you quite yet. You have to type it out. You have to type it out. I know. What are we coming at, James? <laughs> How can it be? So these, uh, these updates, as I said, every year. If you've got some ideas for emoji that is not amongst the 3,782 already, right. you can send a suggestion into the Unicode Consortium and say, oh, what wow. are you thinking? Why haven't you got an emoji that says <gasps> whatever it might be? Yeah. So there you go. Emoji update complete. Get on it, kids. Now, I don't want to sound smug. But I'm going to anyway. My wife and I have a bit of an in-joke that uh, if anyone ever drags us off at the lights, it's because we let them. It's the difference between needing to prove something and the confidence of just knowing. It's also another one of those cool things about owning an EV. They just go from zero to very, very, very fast and they do it very, very quickly. Now, for new passengers and drivers alike, it always brings a childish giggle every time. No wheel spin, just G-forces. And that feeling that has been cranked up on the dial right up to 11 by some Swiss uni students recently, Matt. Absolutely. And I was just thinking there, do you actually get people sometimes at the lights who want to raise their engine? Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I and had... you can tell. And look, I don't want to poke, poke at a particular group of people, but Lexus drivers, <laughs> they, they love to flex muscle. And it's just like, do we want to take them on or not? <laughs> well, I had someone at the lights one day who was doing that behind me revving away as if to say, you know, I've yeah, got a high-performance vehicle. Oh, and, and I'm not going to be involved in a drag race at the lights, no, breaking right. the law. Yep. But you just think, really, do you have any idea? Go and read the specs, okay? Mm-hmm. Your engine, petrol engine car that sounds loud and high-performance, <laughs> yeah, exactly. maybe four and a half seconds, maybe five seconds, you're dreaming, buddy. <laughs> so it is quite amusing. You almost want to pull over and just wave them over and say, look, I'll just get the in and out. I don't need to do it at the lights because that would be breaking <laughs> the law. But here's my phone. Here's your car. Here's my car. Okay, and have a nice day. It's <laughs> the difference between having to prove something and That's actually right. just knowing. I, I Confidence like, in just knowing. I like that. I'm going to use that from now on. Thank you. But I'd love to see some of the professors, some of the lecturers at this particular university, the Swiss university, because they've obviously had a bit of a focus on this for some time. And I like how progressive they've been. They started doing some work on race cars way back in 2006. Then they started 
working on some EVs a few years after that to see if they could get some high performance out of them. So they're a long way ahead of the curve in mm. terms of taking advantage of this. Yeah. They've broken the Guinness World Record for the fastest acceleration in electric vehicle three times so far. <laughs> the latest one was pretty impressive. So they, they were doing fully electric designs by 2010. They broke their first Guinness World Record in 2014. They did it again in 2016. And now they've done it again in 2023. They've done zero to 100 kilometers an hour in 0.956 seconds. What? <laughs> That's crazy. You know, I was having a conversation about uh, with someone about this as they were having their first ride in an electric car, um, and it just how um, f- you know, like it wasn't that long ago that zero to 100 in six seconds was pretty quick. It was that was fast. You know, if you could do that, that was amazing. And then. You know, we'll start these EVs come out, and the, the the base models are doing it in four and a half. Exactly. Um, and now, uh, so so your you upmarket Teslas are doing it in two and a half, like zero to a hundred in two and a half seconds. That's pressy pressy in your seat sort of stuff. Well, but what this is? It's certainly going to be going back in time. <laughs> that's, that's We're going right. to go to negative <laughs> seconds. I do love that. So to give you an idea of just how fast that is, I agree with you when you talk about speeds of old cars when i was young looking at various supercars the general cutoff was it could be called a supercar if it could do zero to 100 in four and a half so when you look at your ferraris and Mm. your lamborghinis four and a half seconds wow that's Mm. unbelievable gee i hope i can buy a car like that one day well now electric cars that's only four and a half seconds what are you talking about you're leaving them behind at the lights aren't you (laughs) that's right my wife is not a rev head by any stretch of the imagination but her car does zero in 103.1 seconds. Not 0.956 seconds, though. Yeah, wow. And, and to put it in some perspective, Formula One cars, so if you want performance, then you think Formula One cars, they typically do zero to 100 in maybe 2.8 seconds. Now, they do zero to 300 pretty quickly as well, so mm. they're probably yeah. going to beat you to 300 k's an hour. But zero to 100, when you see those cars and they're just all performance, it's just a little cockpit and performance. It's almost like an aeroplane on wheels. Yeah. 2.8 seconds, and you're talking 0.956 seconds. So how do they do it? Well, a few things. First of all, they made it light. Obviously, F equals MA, turn that around. A yeah. equals F over M. The less mass you've got, the faster you're going to accelerate with the same amount of force. So that was one thing. Then they put a motor at each wheel. So they've got a lot of power there to put down. So you see modern EVs, they've typically got two motors, one for the rear wheels, one for the front wheels. This one had a motor in each wheel or at each wheel. So that sounds pretty good. Mm. Then they said, we still get too much wheel spin, even with all sorts of electronic controls. We just can't get enough traction out of, I'm assuming, fairly large tyres. So they put a vacuum system in so that it would actually create a vacuum underneath the car, therefore air pressure above (laughs) the car, pushing more pressure down. Now, when you look at a Formula One car, for example, which has basically got upside-down wings at the front and the back, when it's doing 300 k's an hour, you want a lot of pressure down. Obviously, that can make you corner faster. But when you're at zero kilometres an hour taking off, well, there's no air going over any sort of wing structure, so, so you're not getting forced down. Suck yourself onto the road. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I was trying to be very. I thought you were going to pick me up if I said suck myself. I, that's why I said. <laughs> I, that's why I said air pressure on top, pushing <laughs> down. <laughs> it's family show. <laughs> that's right. right. Well, no, it's more thinking about the physics that yeah, okay. it's not really right. sucking you down. No, no, it's not. No, it's air pressure on top okay. pushing you down. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Moving on. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So they've set it up so that they're decreasing that air pressure underneath, air pressure on top pushing it down, giving enough grip for the tyres to start off from zero to get it going quickly. 
it only covers a distance of 12.3 metres before it's going 100 kilometres an hour. (laughs) So that's not very far. 12.3 metres and, wow. Wow, I'm just seeing uh, all these year 11 physics problems just coming through my head right now about... (laughs) I always tell them, now think about the numbers you've just calculated and does it make sense? And And we're just turning all that on its head right now. That's right. If someone said that exactly right, if they said 12.3 metres, do you like... Well, hold on, that doesn't make sense. You, that's, can't, you can't possibly do that's that. That's from one side of the traffic lights to the do other. That if you're falling out of a plane. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so essentially, this is not going to be used necessarily in a car tomorrow. Although sometimes when you get some researchers doing some cool things like this, you do end up with some of these things in production cars. I don't know if we're going to see production cars with a vacuum system underneath, but maybe you will. Who mm. knows? So some of these various things, but I'm sure. The idea of motors at each wheels, I'm sure that's something that could be applied quite easily mm. to production vehicles. So it just sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, I'd love to be a student at this university. They're going, right, our next one we're going to design. Okay, let me get on that project. That sounds like <laughs> cool fun. And then, of We've course... We've got to beat the point nine five six second mark. But imagine the competition to be the driver. I reckon there'd be a lot of kids there who'd say, I want to be the driver. They probably put them on the scales, whoever's the lightest gets to be the driver because, again, that little I'm bit of extra weight. about what sort of support does your neck need? You need a, a special seat to lock your head in. Well, It's it's, it's similar to an ejection seat in a, a fighter aircraft. Well, that's, say maybe they do need to do something where they pressurise the suit they're sitting in. I didn't actually see any images of the students, how they were dressed to actually get in this, but mm. maybe it's like an F-1 fighter pilot, mm. not F-1, maybe a fighter pilot, mm. that you need to have some sort of suit to keep blood going through your body and not having your brain starved yeah, of blood. Wow. <laughs> so, anyway, it sounds like good fun. And what we'll see in the real world, let's keep an eye on that. But they would have been working on aerodynamics. They would have been working on traction control. They would have been doing a whole range of really cool things on this car that maybe we'll see in that next car you're dragging off of the traffic lights. Probably. We might hold off. Uh, might be a while before that appears on the road. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Here's a story to rouse the conspiracy theorist among us. Uh, The iPhone 12 has drawn some concerns over the amount of electromagnetic radiation that it emits, and the French government is responding in a very serious way. Matt, I can feel a science lesson coming on here. Well, the French government has been interesting in this scenario. The iPhone 12 has been sold in France for about three years now, Hmm. and they've got some new testing processes, which suddenly they say, sorry... We're going to ban the sale of the iPhone 12 because the radiation coming out of it is too high. But it's been okay for the last three years, and around the world it seems okay. So I don't know whether maybe their testing equipment is a bit different or maybe it's a bit faulty. Apple have responded, to be fair to them, and they've said, here's a new update specifically for France Mm. that will change the radiation profile. So now go and do some testing on that because at one stage they're going to recall all iPhone 12s in France. That doesn't sound like a good thing for all those iPhone 12 users out there. And then you start to say, what about around the rest of the world? If it's just France, surely there's nothing different to France. So why is it not everywhere around the world? So let's go into it a little bit more. And so I want to go back a little bit in history and look at a couple of things there. And also just look at the rules and regulations in some of the countries around the world around specific absorption rate, which is how we judge the radiation coming out of mobile phones to basically declare them safe. Go back to the 13th of May, 1897, just before we were born, a few Uh, years before we were born. Lovely time. That's right. Marconi sent the world's first radio message across open water. So 
there's a radio message being sent out in the world. Since then, you can safely say we've increased the level of man-made radio telecommunications around the world. Every radio signal, every TV signal, every mobile phone call is broadcast into space and is continually travelling. That's right. So you've got a fair bit of additional radio frequency noise out there in the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. 3rd of April 1973, our good friend Dr. Martin Cooper from Motorola made the very first mobile phone call. Now, we didn't see them commonly used from 1973. In Australia, we had a, a 007 system from 1980, but I wouldn't really call that the start of mobile phones in Australia. 23rd of February 1987, the analog mobile phone network was turned on in Australia. And it was turned on in other places around the world before that. So let's say in round numbers, let's just say 1990, in round numbers, we've had about 33 years of mobile phone communications in Mm. places around the world. Mm. We've had 126 years of radio communications across the world from different formats, different frequencies. But we're also being bombarded with various frequencies from outside. That's right. Us. So the sun sends radio waves towards us right now. Yeah. Yep. So we've got things like that happening, which people tend to ignore in any of the conspiracy theories. Mm. So we're, we're doing that. Now, you would think, a bit like smoking... If you've got something that's been around for that long, you would see some sort of medical impacts. The World Health Organization has said we have no proof of any effects from mobile phones or even radio frequencies that we're using in normal day-to-day life causing any negative health impacts. And there's a reason for it. There is a reason for it. (laughs) There are actually a number of reasons for it. And if I look at smoking, because I've heard the argument, oh, we had smokers out there for a long time, and now, look, we've discovered this, but... Smoking is a bit different. Firstly, mm. you're inhaling carcinogens, so yes. that can't be a good thing. Don't do it. <laughs> and the second thing is that we knew about smoking for some time, but there was a bit of a campaign by various organisations to try and cover it up. But the medical information was there for a long time, yeah. and, and we've had that around for a long time now. It was still smoking, but that's another issue altogether. Mm. But the big issue here is ionising radiation and non-ionising radiation. Yeah. So in general, my simplistic understanding is ionising radiation is enough energy to move an electron out of the shell that it's in. Yes, and the 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 frequency of the uh, EMR, the electromagnetic radiation, will have a specific energy uh, according to equation E equals HF. But anyway, yeah. So when you talk about that, that can change the molecular structure. That's right. Oh well, not, not, well, not ch- changing the molecular structure. It's just making an atom more reactive by bumping electrons off. Right, and so things like X rays and gamma rays. Yes, we know now they are low ionizing radiation. All radiation is low ionizing, but X rays and gamma rays, if delivered in concentrated enough doses, if you're getting a thousand or a million lottery tickets. And you, well, you're going to increase the chances of one of those. Yeah, so typically, when I break my arm, I go and have an X-ray. Yeah, I'm probably not going to have anything drastic happen to me from that one X-ray. No, that's right. But if I'm a radiographer, then I'm going to stand behind a lead Bingo. suit or a, or a yeah. lead room a to screen. do that yeah. because if I'm doing a hundred X-rays a day, yeah. as you say, there's a pretty good chance that eventually eh, I'm going to have some sort of issue. That's right. The important part here, of course, is that radio frequencies are non-ionising radiation. That's right. They don't have enough energy. That's right. So at a low enough frequency and a low enough energy. Now, microwave ovens. So here's a perfect example. Again, one of these arguments I sometimes hear. Well, hold on. Microwave ovens, they're non-ionising radiation in there, which is correct. Yes. 
but they're at a fairly intense level that can heat things up. So they're not ionising, they're not heating your food by ionising it, they're just adding extra energy to the liquid molecules to make them uh, move faster. So they're essentially vibrating, Yeah. so they're getting hot, Yeah. so when I put my cold cup of coffee in there, I, I must admit I wouldn't use a microwave for a coffee, but just assume <laughs> I do, put my cold cup of coffee in there and I hit it with a microwave, it's exciting the atoms in there yes. to get hot by move moving. Faster. That's yes. right. But I'm still not moving electrons out of a shell. No. So if I put my hand in a microwave oven and turned on, then I might do some damage because my blood's going to get pretty hot. That's in right. There. Absolutely. Assuming I could put it through there and have it <laughs> separate <laughs> to the rest of my body. But a mobile phone is obviously nowhere near the amount of energy that a microwave oven is it's putting a out. Much less intense beam of microwaves. So or even radio waves, I should say. The way we look at the safety of that in terms of an incredibly safe threshold is a thing called the specific absorption rate. And they have two levels for this in mobile phones. They have a specific absorption rate at the head and a specific absorption rate in the body. So they do tests on this to say each phone that comes out, and there's other electronic devices as well, but just focus on phones for the moment. They say, different organisations around the world say, right, specific absorption rate Here's the rating for this mobile phone. So to give you an idea, the Australian Radiation Protection and Nuclear Safety Agency, rolls off the tongue, yeah, easy. has got a SAR limit of 2 watts per kilogram averaged over 10 grams of tissue, and that's for head exposure. Right. So in other words, they're saying if you've got 10 grams of tissue, we think 2 watts per kilogram is safe. And when you look at mobile phones, and if you look, in fact, at the iPhone 12, then Apple's official SAR rating, and I assume they don't just make it up and write down a number, I'm sure they have some external organisation that tests it, they've got specific SAR ratings of 0.98 watts per kilogram for the head and 0.99 for the body. Different organisations around the world often talk about two watts per kilogram or sometimes per head, sorry, and sometimes it might be four watts per kilogram for the Mm. body. Different Organisations around the world, different regulatory bodies can have different levels, but two and maybe two and four seem to be fairly common numbers. And that's the case in France. They've got four watts per kilogram for the body. But in the latest testing, the new testing they've done, then they believe now the iPhone 12 is going over four watts per kilogram. Right. Every article I could find on what is a safe threshold seemed to talk about the fact that probably you could get up around 20 maybe even higher than 20 watts per kilogram before it's going to do any damage. And again, damage we're talking about is not from anything relating to ionising. You're not going to get cancers from this. This is heating things up. So you might get a burn. If you had too much energy next to your hand, your head, your body, whatever, you might burn it. That mightn't be good. It might heat up your blood. If, again, well, they're worried extreme. about you know, the, the heating up blood in your brain. That'd be an issue. That uh, yeah. mightn't be pleasant. That's what a fever does. So if you get those <laughs> um, those cells in your brain to go over forty two degrees Celsius, and uh, then you've started to got issues. You're starting to get issues. And you sometimes feel that on a phone if your phone's been very active, been watching videos on it or something, where it's yeah. doing a lot, you can feel it's getting a bit warmer. That's the phone itself That's doing it, work, yeah. but it doesn't mean it's going to make your hand, brain, whatever, get to that sort of heat. Bing. So it all comes down to the SAR rating and different regulators around the world, how they might do that testing. I actually think it'll just be a process where the French regulators will look at their testing process after Apple probably have some discussions with them and say, 
maybe you should use some other equipment or test it against some other equipment, not stuff that Apple will give them, but just go and look around the world for other pieces of testing equipment because why is one country in the world the only one that's out there with this equipment? Mm. And it's still well and truly below the threshold, even though, yes, you put limits on there, two or four watts per kilogram. You put those limits for a reason, that's fine. But again, they've been so far below the threshold because we don't want to see some sort of issue in another decade or two where we go, oh no, everyone's got some sort of terrible disease from mobile phones. I'm pretty confident we're I'm not going to see that's that. that's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. I think if you did see something, it would be very much short term. It'd be, I'm getting a burn now, mm. not I'm getting cancer in 10 years time. Exactly. Uh, so rest assured, I think it's okay. longest time it seems like dating apps have been all about the hookups with next to no responsibility for the well-being of its clients. Indeed the motto let the buyer beware seems to be the rule of thumb. Well the Albanese government has declared that enough is enough and dating apps are going to need to employ some sort of code of practice, a protection for its Australian clients at least, to hold those with malicious intentions accountable. Matt what are the details on this? I'm actually a bit out of touch with dating apps. I've been married for 28 <laughs> years, so I've never You're actually... you that you haven't been using dating apps. I haven't. 28 years ago, you didn't have a dating app. You didn't have a smartphone. But I actually, I always get confused when people say about swipe left or swipe right. I go, hold on, which is the good yeah, one and which, which is, is the good, bad one? I've got no idea. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. right. But one of the things that's a bit scary when I was looking at the research for this one is that the Australian Institute of Criminology show that 75% of online daters experienced some form of sexual violence oh, via wow. these platforms. Now, that's not necessarily physical violence, but that was things like harassment, abusive language, image-based abuse, sending pictures that aren't mm. asked for, and stalking. So it's a pretty scary world out there. And again, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm old enough that I didn't have to go through this process. And I assume most of this harassment and sexual violence is probably more males on females, but I'm sure there's examples where it goes in both directions. So that's not good. So you might say, well, the modern world, dating apps, this is a great way to find someone out there that's your soulmate that doesn't happen to be at your workplace or where you went to school or one of the, the common ways back in our era that you'd actually meet someone. Mm. But at the risk of 75% of daters experiencing this, you'd yeah. say, do I really want to go on a dating app? What the Australian government has said... seems like a minefield. It does, absolutely right. The Australian government has said, you've got to do better than this. Mm. And we think that you'll do better if you create the rules that then you will follow. So you've got nine months. You've got basically till the middle of 2024. Come up with your own voluntary code of practice. Make all the apps, the Tinders, the Bumbles, the Hinges, all the apps, adhere to the voluntary code of practice and we'll leave you alone. If you don't adhere to some sort of code of practice or even come up with one, then we'll come in as regulators and we'll make you do certain things. Now, they're not sure what they'll make them do yet. Mm. Part of the process, I think, for letting it be a voluntary code of practice created by the organisations is they should be able to come up with things and surely it's not good for them. They might come up with better ideas anyway. They might. And it's got to be better for them. If I've got one of my clients or if I've got 75% of my clients experiencing some form of sexual violence, that can't be good. So surely it's in my best interest as the owner of this particular app to fix that problem up. I don't know what the solutions might be. I don't know the answers there. It's a fine line, I think, between getting involved in sticking your nose in from a privacy level about what people are doing, Mm. saying, hey, that's none of your business, the communication I'm having with someone that I might be wanting to date, as opposed to, hey, 
I want someone to keep an eye on what I'm doing because I'm going to do bad stuff. Mm. There's a fine line there somewhere. But hopefully they'll come up with something because just, that just doesn't seem acceptable to me in any way, shape or form. These days when we need to know the answer to something, we just Google it. Everyone does. Googling's a thing. People don't Bing or Yahoo. I can't even name any other search engines out there. So it's just such a monopoly on the search engine market by this Google juggernaut. But the US Department of Justice has finally taken exception and is taking the internet giant to court. Matt, what is going on here? And am I going to have even survive if... Google has to make a step back of any form at all. <laughs> well, the solution might be interesting, but I remember I'm old enough, I've been in IT long enough, that the whole Microsoft antitrust trial last century mm. was a big deal. It was, yeah. And that was this whole thing about Microsoft being accused of antitrust practices. And I remember at the time, and I, I was actually, I used to do a bit of work for Microsoft around that sort of time, and I used to go to America regularly. And I remember talking to some Microsoft execs, and their logic was, we've done really well we have created an organisation that is getting to the stage where it's a majority player. Isn't that what every organisation in every sector wants to do? You want to be the yeah. number one. Yeah, that's right. You're trying to win the competition. Microsoft won the competition. They they won it. They smashed it. And then they were in trouble because they were too good. Too good. <laughs> and it's a bit the same with Google, although we'll see what happens out of the, the antitrust trial. But at the moment, it's usually about 92% of searches done across the world Google, and a bit like you say, well, what else do you use? How, how come it's only 92%? Because when's the last time you used something else besides Google? I have binged stuff in the past, but yeah, right. I'm, I'm sure it was accidentally. <laughs> That's right. Because I <laughs> didn't realise I wasn't on the Google search engine. Well, and this is the thing. The, the Department of Justice has filed a lawsuit against Google. This is probably, I don't know if they did it deliberately because of this, or it was a, a bit of an in for them, but the European Union fined Google, get ready for this, $6.126 billion. Wow. That seems like a fairly big fine. That would be for me. I'd, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd be hurt by that. But when you consider that Alphabet, so Google's parent company, is worth $2.6 trillion, yeah, and they generate $348 billion every year in ad sales, $6 billion? That's a day of sales. <laughs> well, a little bit more than that, but that's a yeah. week of sales, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah so... Oh, a week of sales, damn, don't like that, but there you go. I'll just move on and keep doing what I'm doing. One of the things that's coming out in some of the information that's going through so far is that Google spends $15.5 billion each year to be the default search engine on platforms like Safari and Firefox. So they're paying a lot of money to be the default. Mm. So they're trying to monopolize the market. But yeah. again, that just seems like smart business to me. If Safari or Apple takes a lot of money off Google – to make it the default, they say well, it's good business for us and maybe our phones can be a little bit cheaper, who knows. So the, the argument from Google is that you can change a default search engine, which you can, but it's a bit like the unsubscription problem. Mm. It's not that easy and they've got experts, the DOJ's got experts talking about the psychology of it and the process to change a default search engine. So what do people do? Ah, they just leave it the way it is and that's why they've got 92% of the search engine market. I don't know where this is going to go. The trials is going to go for about 10 weeks, so there's a long way to go on this. They don't expect a ruling to come out until maybe early next year, maybe I think probably even middle next year, but sometime early to mid next year to see what happens. And then it always is what's the flow-on effect? What 
is going to happen with other companies, then mm. is there something that might happen to Meta, to Facebook? Is there something that's going to happen with other companies around that? But uh, look, I'm interested to see where it goes. And I'm interested to see as well whether Google have just been good and clever in the way they've gone about things or whether they've done some things that are underhanded and dodgy, which is probably what the DOJ is saying they've done to get to this market position. Mm. Smart watches, smart white goods, smart cars, and now smart garbage trucks. In a clever move to kill two birds with one stone, a Queensland council will collect domestic rubbish and all the while survey the streets for maintenance needs. Matt, I had never even considered how a local council actually checked on its roads before, but I assume it took a lot of effort, and um, this makes every bit of sense. One of the things I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to drop one of my standard jokes. When I talk about Queenslanders in summer, because they don't have daylight saving, of course, I normally say, yep, Queensland, one hour and 10 years behind New South Wales. And in this case, I think Queensland are in front of New South Wales. And that hurts me to say that. I'm sure (laughs) I said, did I really say that? And this is, as you say, very clever. Is that a hint of maroon I see on your shirt there? (laughs) No, not going that far, surely not. But in this scenario, it makes a lot of sense. Gauging the standard or the the level of your roads, the potholes that are on your roads and being proactive to fix them, it's a big job for a council Mm. to get around and look at all those roads on a regular basis, relying on reports coming in from the public, all sorts of things, trying to triage all that, where do we go first, which potholes need the most work, do we need to do something more than just fixing potholes? And your garbage trucks are pretty much going in within the city limits, going over every road Within that city All limit. The time on a weekly basis. Every week, every single week, you go, well, I know that garbage truck's going to be on Smith Street. So why not put some cameras on there? Why not then feed them back into the cloud, add some AI to then get a list of the potholes that you should be going and looking at? And that's exactly what it's they're doing. It's so clever. It is so clever. It's oh, got to save it. money Stop as well. Stop it. It's Queenslanders, James. It's Queenslanders. <laughs> it's lazy is what it is. <laughs> that's right. Let's look at the negatives of this. So the thing I like about it is prevention is better than cure. If you can see those potholes, and again, when you've got this constant process where you're getting image of these every week, when you can see those potholes that are a small size, so one week, oh, right, that was a 10-centimetre pothole. Next week, it's a 3-centimetre. Next week, it's a 3-metre pothole. Mm. Right, we can work out exactly when we should go and address that before it gets too large. Mm. And then, surely, you can get to the stage where you can actually get more potholes fixed and get better quality of roads. They found so far that the number of detected road defects has doubled. Now you think, well, that's terrible. The roads are in terrible condition, but it's just a matter of the fact... better at picking them up. Better at picking them up. That's exactly right. But what they've found most importantly already is that the repair rate has improved by 15% because they're able to get to the ones that need it the most, able Uh to get to them earlier, and this has only been running for a short period of time. Yeah, Yeah, once I, I think once you keep working on AI and it's seeing the condition of all of these potholes on a weekly basis, I think AI is going to be able to say, you need to hit potholes when they're at this level and here are the ones today. And literally you could get a report through on a daily basis to tell the team, here's where to go out. Now, I don't think they're at this level yet, but it probably won't be that far away, where they'll say, here's the potholes you need to hit and here's the route you should go on to be most efficient in your vehicles that are driving out to fix those 
potholes because you don't want to go to one side of town and then back over yeah. the other side of the town. Yeah. You want to go in some sort of continuous loop where you're fixing those. Just, the potential, it just it's mind blowing. And but the guy guys on the asphalt track, they're not going to be real happy about this, are they? <laughs> they're going to have less work to do <laughs> <laughs> long term. Well, they probably get some people that yeah, are happy about. They're going them. to be getting taps on the shoulder all the time and saying, "Come and fix my pothole." Yeah. Well, yeah. they probably get it now. Yeah, yeah probably. Can, do, can yeah, you imagine yeah. if if you were one of those guys that did that and you're out at a party on a Saturday night? Ah. Oh, James, can you just stuck up my street? There's a terrible pothole up there. Oh, we've got to go and listen to this AI thing. No, just stuck up my street. It's the worst one anywhere. But I think one of the things that's really good about this is this is early stages. This is early days. Mm. Surely as we go down the track with this, we'll get AI getting much cleverer. It'll get that refined level of when is the best time to hit a pothole. And then you'll get an improved repair rate. And so the road standard will keep increasing. So it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. As you get better at repairing them, as you increase the repair rate, then there's less potholes to repair because they're being repaired earlier. So your road And are we going to be seeing um, asphalt snorkels on these garbage trucks as well, just dropping a little bit of asphalt uh, as they go? Maybe. 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 That'll be next. Multi-purpose. Why not? Yeah, that sounds great. Well, then, <laughs> then the guys on the asphalt trucks mightn't be so happy. There are a bunch of ways for you to travel a bit, little bit more greenly on the daily commute. Public transport has been around for yonks. Carpooling became popular a couple of decades ago. In the past decade, cycling has made a resurgence, particularly with electric bikes and scooters and such. And of course, EV sales are on the way up in recent years. But in the City of Angels in the US, an organised EV car sharing enterprise has kicked off to reduce traffic and reduce emissions, and this could be the start of much bigger things. So where does the City of Angels come from? Why is LA the City of Angels? Well, Los Angeles means City of Angels. Oh, does it really? <laughs> there you go. You just learned that? I have. Goodness me. Well, there you go. There's something I've just uh, known forever. And, and From what, from what, had, from had what language? Um, is it, um, is it, it must be Spanish, I want to say. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's so much Spanish influence that's on that side of the... Um, so when they the named country. that, did they say there are angels here, so we call it's it Los Angeles? It's just a nice place to be, oh, so okay. it must have go. been blessed by angels. Learn something new every day. Thank you. So Los Angeles, City of Angels, apparently. <laughs> I can use it there now. There you go. <laughs> Um, it's got some good car sharing processes out there, and the stats are quite impressive. For every car share vehicle that's deployed, it takes anywhere from 7 to 11 vehicles off the road. And that makes sense, because when I own a vehicle, I have it parked in my garage at home. And then I go somewhere, I drive it for, in LA, you might drive it for half an hour, and then you park it at, say, your workplace, or you're doing some shopping. You might be at a shopping centre, it might be parked there for the next few hours and then you drive it somewhere else and it's parked somewhere else. Hmm. So for most people that drive a car, its actual utilisation rate, if you judge your cars on a utilisation rate, it might be at a very low utilisation rate. It might hmm. be 5% of the time. Hmm. Most of the time the car would be sitting parked somewhere. Hmm. But a car share car, you drive from point A to point B, you get out, someone else gets in and drives it somewhere else. So it makes sense. And so it's actually interesting to see that data. Yeah, wow. I had never wrapped numbers around it would it before. It would take enormous coordination though. It seems to work okay, though, because you've got certain parking spots where car-sharing cars are parked, mm. and people just walk along to them, they've got their app, they pull it out, and they say, I'll take this yeah, car, okay. right. and they drive to another parking spot that's designated for that particular car-sharing. I've seen them in Sydney. I haven't seen them in LA, but I've seen them in Sydney, for example, and I think it's a pretty good concept. Yeah, yeah. There are some community groups, so companies that are trying to make money out of it are obviously charging certain rates, but in LA, there's some community-based non-profits that are doing it, and they're charging hourly rates 
down as low as $4 an hour, but probably more commonly around, say, $10 an hour. Mm. And you think about how much it costs to run a car, $10 an hour, for the time yeah. you're using it, would yeah. be incredibly cheap. The main cost of owning a car is depreciation. Yeah. If you're not depreciating, if you're just paying 10 bucks an hour when you need to use it, that sounds pretty good. Most of these cars, the car-sharing cars, are EVs for a whole range of reasons, but the number one reason would be cost of running. If you've got a petrol car, the cost of running that, can, assuming that these are going to do a lot of kilometres, would be quite expensive. But with an EV, the main cost is the purchase price and then whatever depreciation. The cost of actually running at the electricity would be minimal in the whole scheme of things. And that's the second part that's good, is that people are using these cars and they're getting experience driving an EV. And suddenly they're saying, oh, it's not as bad as I thought. Gee, the acceleration is good. I drew, dragged off that Ferrari at the lights today. I'm not encouraging that, folks. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so there are some some pretty good examples there. So there's one company in LA called Miocar, M-I-O-C-A-R. They've now got 37 EVs in their car sharing pool. So there's companies doing it. And essentially, you've got different organisations, even different departments. So Washington State Department of Transport allocated $2.8 million to support EV car share programs. And when you think about it, it makes sense because you're going to get some more cars off the road. You're not Mm. going to have all those cars on the road, but you're going to use the resources you've got in cars more efficiently and then again you might get more evs being used out there so good idea i probably don't see it working that much in a regional area regional areas if you haven't got a car in a regional area it's pretty tough to get around yeah but in metropolitan areas around the world absolutely this is a great idea and not having to worry about where you're going to park it at home as well In 1918, German scientist Fritz Haber was awarded the Nobel Prize for Chemistry, having developed the Haber process to produce ammonia from thin air. This was then able to be used to produce synthetic fertiliser and feed the world population that was starting to face a global famine. Sure, he was responsible for the deaths of 40 million people and the obliteration of a large section of France in World War I, but that's for another time. In the science behind agriculture... There have been few processes as significant as the harbour process. If that gift has enabled our population to hit 8 billion, perhaps the ability to to now modify the genetics of crops to increase yields may be just as significant. I know there are farmers and consumers out there who get the heebie-jeebies about GM crops, but let's talk a little little bit about the who, the what, the where of modern agronomy, Matt. Well, you talk about 8 billion people and the food that we produce for that, but 30% of people globally were food insecure Mm. in 2022. And that's obviously a big number. That's from the UN Food and Ag Organization. So it's a big number. It's a lot of people. We've got to produce more food. And how are we going to do that? As the population grows, we've got less area to grow crops on. So it's going in the opposite direction, less area, but we need more food to support that growing population. So I think gene editing, I think changing Mm. the way crops are growing is an important part of that. Yeah, it's it's almost a necessity. I think so. I know people do, as you said, get a bit concerned about it, but I'm quite comfortable with it. The photosynthetic effect has a certain level of efficiency. So when you try and edit the genes to get that more efficient. It's complicated because there's about 100 steps to go through for photosynthesis. So trying to work that out manually, what do we need to change here to get it more efficient? Oh, it's complicated. But we've got some incredible computing power now. And that's exactly what they've done. They've thrown this process at some supercomputers. And they said, see what you can come up with through this 100-step process to make it more efficient. And let's see what we've got to edit in our gene editing Mm. to make this process more efficient. They've done that, 
and they've got a result of a 20% yield improvement just out of doing some gene editing. And that's wow. focused specifically on that photosynthesis process. Wow. If humans try to do that, they'd be there for the next 50 years trying to do the calculations about what you might edit, and then let's try that. Oh, that didn't quite do it. But when you've got supercomputers, you can do this so much better. So basically, it allows light, uh, plants to adapt quicker to light level changes. So in the morning, presumably, when yeah, the right. sun comes up, then they can start going through that process much quicker. If there's clouds in the sky and then there's a light change, they can actually adapt quicker rather than needing that sunlight there for longer before they start producing that photosynthetic effect. So it's quite fascinating. And photosynthesis is a very complicated process. And mm. we as humans just go, yep, cool, that's how plants grow, photosynthesis, end of story. But to actually start analysing that and breaking it down is pretty exciting. The UK has started to relax their regulations on gene-edited crops. So organisations around the world, governments around the world are starting to be a bit more relaxed about it. The European Union still has very strict regulations on GM and gene-edited crops, but I think you will start to find that countries around the world that do adapt to these standards and adopt them, I think they'll start to be the ones that are producing more food for the world and exporting it, as Australia does a lot of exporting there. So quite fascinating. I also find just how we can take something that's out of nature, a plant, put something that's man-made like a supercomputer and do a lot of work on that and then edit those genes and then go, and we're back to a plant, but a better plant now. Yeah, It sounds a bit scary, but it sounds fascinating. No, it's absolutely fascinating. And uh, the, the answers for our food shortage are locked in there, I reckon. In recent months, uh, I noticed car parks getting somewhat quieter. And by that I mean turning around and being surprised by the fact that there's a car right behind you, hot on your heels, and you never heard it coming. EVs are here now and the fleet is diverse. Now BYD and MG are making a big break into the Aussie marketplace. They are very affordable and they blend in with a crowd better than Teslas do even. Matt, it's now game on in the Aussie EV market. My wife has a problem actually with quiet cars when she goes to reverse out of front-end parking. Sometimes people will be walking across the road, jaywalking of course, but they'll be right behind her. And yeah. so she's about to reverse and they can't hear the car running because it's not yeah. making any noise. And she's kind of sitting there going, what do I do? If I beep the horn, it seems a bit rude, <laughs> but also a beep of the horn is more at the front person standing at the back of the car probably yeah. wouldn't think much about it there. So she says, I just have to sit there and sit wait. There. I don't know how many times the problems happen, but yeah. <laughs> sit there and wait until the person finally crosses the road and then I can reverse out of my car park. So it's something that people are going to have to change their behaviour because you've got those quiet cars, but slightly off topic there, sorry. But BYD is in the Australian market. Actually, now, I don't think I've seen one yet. Well, I've been in a couple when I've been in ride sharing. Right. And I know that they're serious because when I was at the airport recently, I walked into the in one of the lounges at the airport and at the entrance to the lounge, there was a car sitting there. And I went, wow, the car park must have been full today. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> but the car was sitting there. It was a BYD. And I had a quick chat to the person there. And so they've got about two months there uh, focused on people coming into the airport about electric vehicles. And they had a stat sheet there and talked about them. And I said, how's it been so far? And, and she said, pretty good. Actually, people are pretty positive about it. So BYD is made to be a cheaper car. It's mm. the number two selling 
electric vehicle in the world, number one in China, so it's a Chinese brand, stands for Build Your Dreams. Mm. Sounds a bit corny, yeah, but hence, hence why it's called BYD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're ending the market, and they're entering the market at a price point that's more attractive. We've had the discussion before. We know the total cost of ownership of an electric vehicle, even though it might be dearer in the ticket price, is cheaper than a equivalent petrol engine vehicle because the running costs are so low and the depreciation so low. But it still does scare people, or sometimes people mightn't have access to the money. In the recent past, the MG had the cheapest car on the market at $38,990. Not too bad. BYD are coming with some new models, four new models they're bringing in. They've already got one model at the moment, the Atto. They're bringing in four new models. And the cheapest of those is the Dolphin, not sure who comes up with their names. The <laughs> Dolphin is $38,890. So $100 cheaper than the MG. And that's okay. It's only $100. But you'll see competition continue to push these prices yeah. down. And that's the idea. Yeah. $100 cheaper today. MG might respond. Someone else might respond. Next thing you know, it'll be $37,000. It'll be $35,000. Under $30,000 for an EV is not that far away. If I had to look at my crystal ball, I reckon within two years, James, there's my wild prediction, within two years, we'll have an EV in the Australian market below $30,000, which is Mm. pretty exciting. So they've got four new models coming out. They've got names, I'm not sure who comes up with them, but I mentioned the Dolphin. They've also got a Seal. Is a Dolphin bigger than a Seal? There's a Seal. There's a marine theme there. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not quite... Sure about that, but the, try not to drive them on the beach, boats. <laughs> yeah, that's right, or in the water. But the really exciting part is BYD's got a Ute coming out. The first Ute they've got coming is a plug-in hybrid Ute. Now I'm not the biggest fan of hybrids, but mm. plug-in hybrids I can live with in particular if that means that you get into that and you drive around on the batteries ninety percent of the time, and you've got the petrol engine there for the occasional time you go on a longer trip. That's okay. That seems to make sense. But it also gets people into that realm and starts them thinking about it. But after the plug-in hybrid, they'll have a fully electric ute in the market in Australia by 2025. So a bit over a year away. And if you look at the F-150 Lightning in America, that is going off over yeah, there. So yeah, yeah. it's a, it's quite exciting. But again, it's just another player, another maker in the market. And we talked about it last week. The traditional brands, some of them like a Toyota, for example, have been caught a bit short. You've got these brands that we haven't heard of. You've got BYD we haven't heard of. MG we've heard of, but MG, this is the new MG, they bought the brand. It's a Chinese company that bought the brand, so it's not really the old MG. So BYD is a new manufacturer. MG effectively, Tesla, new manufacturer. So you've got these new manufacturers coming into the market, and the traditional manufacturers have got to respond pretty quickly, otherwise they're going to be left behind. Exactly. Yes, the worm is turning, shall we say. And that's all we have time for, folks. The picnic basket is empty, and we need to get out of here before the ants get shirty. And I'm going to go back and keep trying to unsubscribe or downgrade or do something with this damn high-tail problem. (laughs) Good luck with that, Matt. Thanks for another cracking tech talk. Uh, I'm off to cruise the streets in Matesla and see how many people get the revs when they pull up next to me at the lights. Thanks for tuning in once again, folks. As always, it's been a pleasure bringing you Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. I'm James Eddy, wishing you a productive week and hoping that we can catch up, catch you again on the flip side with a whole new bunch of new gadgetry stuff, fresh off the rack, ready for you to tuck into. Until then, take care. We'll see you in another week's time.